Amen. So last week we uh, finished uh, chapter one and uh, we were really getting a glimpse into the first disciples. And there was a, there were a lot of things there. If you missed it, I encourage you to go check out SoundCloud, uh, look us up Calvary Chapel Down East or go on uh, Facebook and you can watch it on there. Uh, but there are some uh, some great lessons uh, that the Lord had for us, and uh, the the, uh, the Scripture spoke to us. So uh, where we pick up in in uh, chapter two, uh, it's a whole different scene. So it says uh, in verse one says, on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. So uh, we'll we'll stop there and we'll keep uh, going through. So. Uh, what we're looking at here is on on the third day. Uh, third day of what we don't know, but uh, the uh, we we can assume that that would have made sense to somebody. But on the third day, there's uh, there's a wedding in Cana of Galilee. So uh, weddings uh, typically happen on, in this culture on Wednesday. If someone was a virgin, if they were remarrying. Uh, then it would have been uh, uh, like a widow, I should say, a widow remarrying. It would have been on a Thursday. If somebody had been divorced, it would have been in private. So we can assume, based on what we're seeing here, uh, and it wouldn't be any big public celebration if someone was divorced. It would have been you get married in private, and then you go on from there. So we can assume, based on the fact that there are a lot of people coming here, it's uh, either a virgin being married or uh, somebody who was a widow uh, being remarried. So uh, because it's public, we can assume those things. So uh, what we see here is uh, a wedding being presented to us. And it's uh, as we uh, look into this, and, and we, we discussed this on uh, Wednesday night, I don't, I don't plan how these are going to go and try to spiderweb them together or anything. But it just so happens that we talked about the first wedding, the first, uh, the first two people on earth, Adam and Eve, uh, with them being uh, being husband and wife. So uh, uh, with wedding, we're just, we can discuss a little bit about marriage. And I won't get into it as, as much as I did on Wednesday. If you really want to dive into it, uh, into how, what I discussed, just check out Wednesday's uh, service and, and you'll, you'll see what, I, uh, what we covered there. So marriage was and is still supposed to be a lifelong covenant. That's what marriage is designed to be. It's supposed to be a lifelong covenant between a man and a woman. God set that uh, way back, all the way back in Genesis. So when he sets the standard, uh, it's our, our responsibility to follow it and not redefine it. In marriage, there's an intimacy in many ways, not just a sexual intimacy, uh, in many ways between one man and one woman for the rest of their lives. And that's an exclusive, that, that intimacy, especially uh, a sexual intimacy, is exclusive to one another only in marriage, 100%. Any sex or sexual activity outside of marriage is completely condemned in the scripture, all the way through the scripture, all the way to Genesis, all the way through Revelation. There's no provision made for boyfriend and girlfriend. There's no provision made for, oh, well, now we're engaged, so we can do those things. It, it's the, the scripture is very clear on it. If we have sex outside of marriage, it's either fornication or adultery, and it could be both. So uh, when we see those things, married, uh, sex, in, uh, when we're talking about that type of intimacy be between a husband and a wife is supposed to be exclusive to marriage. And that's it. There's not, that's not supposed to happen outside of marriage. Uh, in the scripture, the scripture doesn't uh, contradict itself. And uh, it's very clear. So, uh, so as we see here, uh, there's a wedding happening. And this, um, you know, the Lord needs to be the foundation of a new marriage, a new relationship that is that is uh, coming together where two become one. Uh, so the center of a Christian marriage should be Jesus Christ. 
the, the, the wedding should be, uh, that he's our foundation. We talked a little bit about this on Wednesday night. That and, and it came up to the verse where the Lord shared, you know, if someone, a wise man's not going to build their house. I'm just totally paraphrasing, right? Build their house on sand uh, because when the wind uh, blows and the storm comes, that house is going to blow away and great will be its fall. But it's wise to build on the rock. Jesus Christ is the rock. We should build our lives and marriages uh, on, on Jesus Christ. Ecclesiastes 4.12 uh, says, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So that threefold, we, we, we should have that threefold cord where it's two people along with Jesus Christ, all wound together as one cord. Uh, so when we see the divorce rate in America and in the secular world being the same, uh, but sorry, between the church and the secular world, shame on the church. It's, we've disconnected from the Lord, uh, and, and we're not making Christ our focus. So at some point, that breaks down because of one or both people uh, wandering from the Lord and getting to that point of uh, there's, there's no more uh, where Christ is in the foundation and everything just crumbles and falls apart. Christ needs to be our foundation. So as, this, as we're moving uh, forward, we, this it might be a family wedding or at least a close friend. For uh, Mary to be invited and Jesus and the disciples to be uh, invited, we can assume that uh, it's somebody that they all knew. We know that Mary was there, and uh, Joseph's not mentioned. It's assumed by most scholars that Jesus has passed away. Uh, sorry, that Joseph had passed away by now, uh, and uh, where Jesus and his disciples are are invited, we don't we don't know the capacity uh, uh, as to why, but we know that uh, Mary was either working at the at the uh, wedding. Or uh, or helping out, but she definitely cared about the people, as we're going to see here as we uh, press forward. Uh, and, and we see here uh, Mary being introduced, and she was a special woman. Um, uh, as I said, I can't. I come from a Catholic background, and uh, the what I was what I what I'm taught is that I'm supposed to pray to Mary, uh, which is contradictory to First uh, Timothy two five. There's one media. There's one God and one mediator between God and man, and it's the man Christ Jesus. Mary is not a co-mediator uh, between us. It's 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 uh, blasphemous uh, to say so that anybody else could mediate. You know, when when it's when Jesus died that that veil of the temple was torn in two uh, that symbolized uh, the that separated God from man. Uh, you know, Mary, blessed woman, uh, and I've, I've, I think it's Will that I've heard uh, share this or or other pastors I've listened to. I do believe that that Mary sometimes is. Uh, highly elevated beyond what she should be. And then sometimes she's not given the proper uh, respect uh, due for somebody who went through what she did and, and was used by, by the Lord how she was. You know, when we can look, and we're going to get into that a little bit further uh, along, but just understand Mary was a, a young woman that uh, trusted the Lord and followed the Lord, and that's, that's who she was. She was used mightily, but not more mightily than anybody else that submitted their lives to the Lord and, uh, and followed him. Uh, used, I mean, goodness, she you know, gave birth to, to the Savior. Uh, that, that's awesome, but does not uh, command her to be praised. Uh, we, we do need to, to give proper uh, you know, hall of faith type thing, you know, as, as Hebrews 11 lists all those people in there. Yeah, Mary, Mary's one of those people we can look at. And when she's faced with something that, uh, that uh, she didn't understand, she was a virgin, and she's told by the angel that she's going to give birth. And she asked a, a question in faith, 
and says, how, how can this be since I've not known a man? You know, so we can, but then she goes on late and I'm, I'm way ahead of myself. I'm like four pages ahead of myself. So we're going to look into that a little bit further. Okay. So I'm going to stop myself right there. Verse three. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to his servants, whatever he says to you, do it. So what we see here is uh, they're at the wedding and uh, it's it's popular and it's it's a a, a, a wine is a big thing in, in the Jewish culture and it's it's popular for for them to have wine at a celebration and when they run out of wine uh, it's cause for panic. So uh, what we need to understand is that Mary is is looking to Jesus. Now there are no recorded miracles until this point. This is the first, not that it was uh, it was the first miracle Jesus ever did, but it's the first one recorded that we know of. And so when, when Mary looks at Jesus, she says to him, you know, there's, uh, they have no wine. So it lends to us knowing that, that Jesus wasn't walking around the house and commanding the clothes to be uh, folded up and, you know, you know, just, you know, pointing to the stove and, and the food's ready, you know? So, uh, but, but Mary definitely knew, uh, that, that, She's looking at Jesus in faith. It wasn't one of those things where she's looking at Jesus and um, and uh, it just kind of saying, uh, you know, hey, uh, by the way, they're they're out of uh, they're out of wine. Uh, here, here's a hundred dollars. Why don't you go down, buy some more, and bring it back? It wasn't like, hey, they're out of wine. You know, like I might to my daughters or whatever. And so it, it also wasn't that. But it's important to understand what's what's happening here. She's looking at Jesus in a different way, uh, and she, they have no wine. So let's talk a little bit about wine. It's not forbidden in the scripture. Wine, uh, the drinking of wine is not forbidden in the scripture. It's just, it's just not. Uh, it's used in several different types of celebrations uh, in Israel, as we see, and around the world. First uh, Timothy five twenty three. Paul tells uh, Timothy, who's been dealing with uh, stomach illness, uh, he says, uh, "No longer drink water, uh, only water, but also use uh, a little wine for your stomach." A stomach sake for uh, your frequent infirmities. So wine, uh, as I said, isn't forbidden. Drunkenness is. Drunkenness is, is forbidden in the scripture. It, it definitely is. So when we talk about wine being forbidden, uh, in this church, for anybody serving in leadership, it is forbidden. And uh, that's that's a, a rule that uh, that Will had presented to me when I came on board, and uh, that's something that uh, that when we have a meeting of uh, we'll, we'll have some uh, plenty of meetings coming up. By the way, uh, I don't want to break from this, but there are going to be meetings about you know, people that are going to serve in the church and uh, you know all types of those things. So those things are going to happen, and we could just. Uh, Pay attention to your bulletin and and the the, uh, the announcements, and we'll cover those. But it's important for anybody who's ever been asked into service here uh, prior to me coming on board, as Will would talk with them. And uh, it's it's important for us to understand that that the use of alcohol is uh, is forbidden by somebody that's serving here, as somebody who's representing the church. Uh, so that's it's important to understand that why because it's a potential stumbling block. Somebody has uh, struggled with uh, the use of, of alcohol uh, for them to see me as the pastor at a local pizza shop or whatever uh, with three beers in front of me. Uh, oh, well, it's okay for John to do it. Then I'm going to do it. You see what I mean? Uh, and uh, so it's important for, for, for me 
to, to not partake of that. I've, I've moved that away and in the scripture for a leader to be separate from that. And we're going to look at some scriptures. There isn't condemnation. Please understand, I'm not condemning anybody uh, that has had this problem in their lives or struggled with alcohol. Uh, or, uh, you know, if you're a Christian that, that uh, drinks wine, that's between you and the Lord. But anybody serving here in a place position of leadership cannot do that. If they want to, then forfeit your position of leadership and you still be here and, and partake with us. But it's, it's, it's forbidden uh, if you are in a position of leadership here. So, and it's also a public perception. So not only Christians that may see, Hey, didn't I just, didn't we just visit that church? And, you know, he's over there, you know, uh, taking shots or, you know, he's got a wine bottle in front of him. It can be a, a stumbling block to somebody. So, uh, so that's, uh, that's basically, uh, that's, that's to sum it up. That's, uh, you know, my stance on it. So in that public perception would be somebody just outside, you know, and, and, you know, for me to be able to speak with them and like, Oh, wait a minute. I thought the guy's a pastor. And it might, if it causes that, it may, it might cause them to stumble, whether it's somebody from within the church or outside the church. I don't want to, I don't want to be that stumbling block. And I also don't want to set a, a bad example here. So there are many dangers uh, in participating in wine and alcohol and uh, specifically drunkenness. Uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 20, verse one says, wine is a monk mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. And, and whoever is laid, led astray by it is not wise. So it's not it's not wise to be uh, partaking in in those things and uh, to submit ourselves to those because whenever we take something in, we're now under that thing's influence, right? So uh, I, I'm just going to share these scriptures with you and and you pray and and ask the Lord uh, to to minister to you and speak to you about you know your own involvement. Um, with uh, with wine, if you're not in leadership here. If you're in leadership here, you, you know the stance. Uh, verse uh, 29 of Proverbs 23 says, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or like one who lies at the top of the mast saying, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. When, uh, when shall I wake that I may seek another drink? It's a sad situation that, that uh, Proverbs, uh, written by Solomon, uh, are, uh, he's, he's saying here the, the woe, the sorrow, the contentions, the complaints that can come. It says, who has redness of eyes? You know, I, after, uh, I know that for, for me, full confession, I, I, I drank. I, I think I was done drinking by the time I turned 21. I'd had enough. You know, uh, but I, I know that it, that it beat the stuffing out of me and waking up the next morning. Whew, talk about red eyes. Talk about, ow, why am I hurting? <laughs> what happened? What happened? You know, though it, there, it, what it says here, those who, uh, so it says, who has these things? Who has these woes, these sorrows, the redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine. Then there's a, there's a, 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 a warning here in verse 31. Do not look on wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup. Doesn't that sound like temptation? Look at the wine, right? Guys, it doesn't even have to be wine. It could be anything else. It could be pornography. Don't look at that. 
when that looks appealing to you. Don't dive into that. Not just I'm not just addressing that. I mean, spiritually, we shouldn't be uh, looking at anything that's going to lead us astray and lead us into sin. We shouldn't be partaking in that sin. As Christians, we need to look at it and go, that's not good for me. I'm turning this way, and I'm going to Jesus. I need him to be my strength. That's what needs to happen. That, that, that temptation that's being described here, Solomon had a great way of talking, and he talked about the seductress, how the seductress will slowly woo and bring them in right down to their death, right? And that, that spiritual death, sometimes physical death that would come to it. Do not look on the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup and, smooths and, and swirls around smoothly. Very dangerous. He's saying it will be enticing. Sin is enticing. Alcohol is enticing. It's going to drive us to it. Pornography may be enticing. It is enticing. You can't even say may. Drug use. Whatever it is that, that we know, you know what? I know that's going to pull me into bondage and I need to turn away from it. I need Jesus Christ to save me and to help me. We see right there, it's, an, it's actively showing that, uh, that uh, appealing. That's appealing. Oh, you know what? I, you know, that my, my, my boyfriend and oh, they, they just oh, look how they look at it. I just I feel, you know, in my heart that we need to take that next step. And we, you know, we need to get into this type of a relationship outside of marriage. It's the same warning. It's destruction that comes from falling. It says right here in verse, uh, verse 32, at the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. You know, I, I, anybody out here ever had regret? <laughs> right? Right? We've all lived with regret in our lives, right? Christ can save us from that, free us from the bondage, and it's gone. We've talked about that several times. I don't want to go back to that where I'm going to live in sorrow and regret. Oh, the, the bite. You know, your eyes will. Then he just goes on to see the, the as somebody who's, who's uh, uh, given to wine, he says, uh, you know, they're going to be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea. Uh, anybody who's ever been drunk, bed spins. You know, I don't mean to be crass and to be, uh, you know, but think about it. You know, well, I feel like everything's moving. I'm laying down in a ship, right? It's like that. And then he says, I uh, want to lies down at the mass and they've struck me, but I was not hurt. I'm going to feel it in the morning, right? I'm going to feel that in the morning, you know, that, that type of thing. There's just a warning. There's a warning that, that when we partake in these things that we're now uh, giving ourselves to that and we're now under its power, it's now taking us under its power, if that makes sense. So here's an alternative. Uh, you'll see it up here, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Here's a, a much, uh, much greater way for us. Ephesians 5, 15 uh, through 21 says, See then that you walk circumspectly, uh, circumspectly, which means carefully, not as fools, but as wise. Remember what, what is said here, what, uh, uh, what Solomon uh, said in Proverbs 20, uh, verse 1. He says, Wine is a mocker, strong drinks a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Here's the alternative to it. It says, I see then that you walk circumspectly, carefully, uh, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, which means making the most of our time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to another one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. That sounds so much better than the bondage that, 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 that the wine would have to offer, right? 
uh, just oh, right here that it says, be wise. It says, do not be unwise, uh, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And then the, the, the participation we have, because I remember when I get drunk, it's revelry, right? It's, you know, uh, when, when, when I did get drunk, I said when I, I'd get drunk, I need to make sure that I understand, uh, emphasis on the apostrophe D there, okay? When I did get drunk, uh, that, that, that it, was, it was party. It was, hey, let's do stupid stuff and see if we survive, right? You know, let's say stupid things. Let's yell out, as as Proverbs uh, twenty three says, yell out perverse things, and we're gonna, it, it, uh, we're just gonna be stupid, right? You know, and uh, and we're gonna do stupid things. I would rather be here lifting up psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in my heart with you guys, than to party with you guys. I love you guys, but I don't want to get drunk with you. I would I would rather be praising God. Does that make sense? So. Let us, you know, there's, uh, you know, understanding that, yes, wine, I can't tell you that it's forbidden. But what I can tell you is that what we see in the scripture is that, uh, that it's, it's, it's wise for us to, uh, to turn away from it. You know, when, when, when he would say, Solomon says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever's led astray by it is not wise. We, we can look at the scripture and see, okay, partaking in that may not be the wisest thing to do. So my, my uh, encouragement to you is to not partake in alcohol, but I can't tell you that in the scripture it's forbidden. Does that all make sense? Okay. I just think the alternative is so much better. Being filled with him and his goodness and his blessings, what he has for us is going to fill us more than any uh, earthly thing could ever fill us. So uh, the encouragement is to live a spirit-filled and spirit-led uh, spirit life, and it's far superior to anything or anyone else can offer us uh, in filling and leading our lives. When I say anyone else, those things like pornography, sex out of marriage, name the thing that can that can uh, take over our lives and 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 pull us away from the Lord. You know, it's it's not just uh, just wine. It's not any of those things. So um, uh, it's not exclusively any of those things. It's anything that can uh, bring us under its power, uh, and then and then set the hook, and then we're stuck. I just advise you to to avoid it all around and go. Wait a minute, that might be something that's uh, that's potentially dangerous for me. I'm going to go around. I, I was a wrestler in high school, and there's a thing that you know. As we're in, I thankfully got to wrestle a little bit after, but. Uh, and even even at whatever level I wrestle that, the referee would stop the match if there was something that would potentially uh, injure somebody. Now, pain, wrestling's painful. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh, that hurt, because there are some pretty uh, – I actually remember talking with Oliver, and I showed him there's this one guy that wrestled for Penn State that he liked to make the wrestling match painful for his opponent. And there's nothing – you know, it's just nothing wrong with it, I guess. If you're wrestling, it's just like, like boxing. You don't want to get punched in the face, don't box. You know, that, that's what's going to happen. But in wrestling that you get going and if you see, oh, wait, that knee is, is turning too much in the direction that it shouldn't. The referee will put their hand behind their back and stop the match. That means potentially dangerous. You know, those things that might be potentially dangerous, injurious to us, just go right around them and, and, and continue on our walk with the Lord. That's my my uh, um, my advice to you. If we know people that are struggling with um, uh, alcohol abuse, uh, uh, drug use, whatever it is, be gracious. Be loving. Share our testimony with them. Understand and remember the grace that was extended to us. It's easy to look and point fingers and just say, hey, you know, you need this, you need that. 
Remember, we'll, we'll show this anytime we're pointing this way. How many fingers are pointing back to me, right? We don't like to think of that, but whenever we're pointing, we need to understand, hey, wait a minute. I've accepted that grace. I sing of his grace and mercy. You know, my hands lifted high uh, to God. But, uh, but to forget that, that we were changed by God's mercy and grace, extend, lovingly share, lovingly share. Guys, I understand the frustration. I've, got, I've had people in my life that, that I love dearly that I've lost to substance abuse. I've got people in my life that I love dearly that have I recently dealt with that uh, very extensively. I'm not going to look at them. They, they already have enough uh, shame and condemnation in their heart. I know they do. I know they're already dealing with that. To browbeat them isn't going to help them. When I can come to them and say, oh, I, I, I'm just heartbroken to see you uh, in, in the, the, the wallowing, in the, 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 the pain and the suffering and the shame. I offer you Jesus Christ. You know, just like Peter, when he walked and he saw the man lame uh, in the temple in Acts, I think it's Acts 3. When uh, and and the guy is is reaching out for alms and Jesus and and Peter had so much more for him. Peter reaches down. He says, "Silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Stand up and walk." That we can offer the same to the spiritually lame when they're down and just say, "Hey, let's talk." I I, I know that you're you're bound to this. Let's talk about it. You know, brow beating and uh, nobody nobody needs that shame. You know, Christians we somebody we know is a Christian. Uh, and is is wandering back into that, we can be a little more re pointed with our rebuke, but we still need to do it in love. But we can't expect the lost to understand everything in the scripture just because we do. And uh, they're, they're, they're taken captive by their enemy to do his will, the scripture says. We need to understand that and lovingly share Jesus Christ with them. Moving on. So uh, uh, Mary... Uh, looked at Jesus and said, they have no wine. And Jesus says to him, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not, not yet come. As I said earlier, when, when Mary's looking at Jesus, it wasn't like, hey, they don't have any wine. Go get them some wine. It wasn't that. It was Mary looking at them saying, uh, he, he knew that, that she, sorry, she knew that he could help. And uh, Jesus had, has declared, as we read through here in, in John, he declares it several times that his hour has not yet come. It's not time for him to be re revealed as the Messiah. At some point in John chapter 17, he says, Jesus spoke the words, and he, as he lift, it says, uh, John chapter 17, sorry, 17, verse 1 says, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. That's when the hour had come, right? That's when the hour had come. Until then, it wasn't supposed, he had ministry to do. And he had things to do. It wasn't his time of glory wasn't yet. He was supposed to be uh, just out ministering. Uh, and so he's and when he says the hour has not come, you know, my hour is not. He's not talking about a specific time. I mean, it's not four o'clock yet or whatever like that. He's talking about his moment, his time. Uh, so it's not minutes here. The time frame for him to be glorified through the finished work of the cross. That's is, is what he's saying. So uh, something uh, uh, it's, it's about how. Um, he said it that Mary knew that something was going to happen because when, when he says that to Mary, what's her response? Like, oh, yeah, you're right. I'm going to go back. As soon as Mary hears that, she looks at those uh, at the, the group around him and says, whatever he says to you, do it. So the hour has not come. So when, when she brings that up, you know, what is my concern? Uh, what does your concern have to do with me? He's, he's, he's correcting and he's, he's saying, no, it's, it's not time for me to re be revealed yet. 
She knows he's the Messiah. Yeah, that was that was declared to her before she was pregnant. So, uh, so when he, and she's reminding, he's reminding her the hour has not yet come. But the way he spoke, she knew that something was going to happen. Remember, I talked about Mary earlier, and I said I was uh, ahead of myself. We're going to look into that right now because these are the last recorded words of Mary. So we understand that that Mary uh, had some great things to say back in Luke. Uh, when when you can look in Luke two and um, sorry Luke one and um, and and see the things that she had to say when she uh, when she heard that the Messiah was going to be uh, born through her, but I when when he looked at her and he said this, she knew it meant something different. And he said, "Whatever he says to you, do it." So these being the last words of Mary, that's important for us to look at to understand that she was wise. That Mary was someone that we can we can learn from, you know. That's that as we look through the scripture and we see, you know, how Mary was used, how what her response was. That when she when she said, and we're going to get into uh, the verses here. I've got them here, so I once again getting getting in front of my, uh, ahead of myself. Um, but but she responds in praise and she responds in obedience when the, when the uh, when the angel tells her that she's going to give birth to the Savior. So with these being her last words, um, just think about this. I mean, uh, if you want to make anything about Mary uh, and what she said uh, famous and you want to, you kind of want to look at it like, wow, I could really learn uh, from, uh, from this example. This is a top candidate. This is it. And the second one that I said we were going to get right to, along with this, Luke 138, then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Those two things that Mary said. Those two things, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, what she's saying is, I'm, your, I'm, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word, that we would be submissive to what the word of the Lord says. God, I'm your servant. What your, what your word says, that's what I'm going to follow. That along with whatever he says to you, do it. We can learn from that line. It was, that, that line isn't just in there for us to read and go, oh, for those guys. Whatever Jesus Christ said, we should do. You know, there's a, there's a lot of wisdom just in that line. She didn't know when she said that, hey, 2,000 years later, Calvary Chapel down east, they're going to be in John chapter 2, and they're going to be discussing this. But we can look at it right there. Whatever he says to you, do it. You know, that we would be obedient to Christ, that we would submit our will to his and uh, and follow his example. Mary's uh, Mary's example when she said, you know, let it be according to, uh, to your word. Remember, she had the questions for for the angel and everything. It, it, basically, she's making a statement here. I may not understand it all, but I trust God and I trust his word. We can take that example. That's a, That's something we can learn from. Very important for us. So she had expected Jesus uh, all of his life up to this point. You may remember in Luke 2, uh, Feast of the Passover, Jesus was 12 years old at this point. If you're familiar with the scripture, you're probably, oh, yeah, I remember this. It's a family tradition, and, and it's a requirement. We're going to get into the Passover. It's a requirement for uh, males in Israel to go to Jerusalem to worship. So uh, we'll get into that uh, a little bit more later. But um, uh, they, uh, as they went, they went and worshipped, and then they, everybody packed up, and they got a whole group, and they're assuming that Jesus is, is oh, he's probably you know walking with the cousin or whatever. We can just keep going. They get a day into their journey, and, and they realize, wait a minute, it's nighttime. Where's Jesus? And Jesus stayed back 
in Jerusalem. So as as they're gone, they're both thinking Jesus is with them. They're not. And when they realize he wasn't, they panic and they run back. I mean, that's that's a long trip back. You can you can know there's some exhaustion there. There's a lot of panic. Remember, uh, and I think I've shared this. Forgive me if I have, but we were uh, I was I was a kid and I barely barely remember this. But we my family and uh, my dad was a chiropractor. He's retired now. Um, and some of their friends from uh, when they went to University of Maine at Fort Kent together, and then uh, this family um, uh, invited uh, the guy invited my dad. Why don't you become a chiropractor and come with me? We'll go to Iowa, and, and so they both did. You know, so uh, they they had a lifelong friendship. And uh, when we were kids, we'd go down uh, to Saco to visit the Scarborough uh, to visit them, and and uh, so we're all down there, our, our family, their family, and I think there was like ten kids. You know, so two adults, 10 kids running everywhere, and we go to Old Orchard Beach and spend the day there. Everybody gets in, you know, we got uh, two, three vehicles, and oh, kids are, you know, mixed up and everything. We're driving back, and we didn't have cell phones back then. And uh, everybody's like, uh, Where's Josh? <laughs> and they're like, Oh, it must be in the other vehicle. So they pull, Hey, you got Josh? No, I thought you had Josh. They left the youngest kid there. I don't know, he's three, four years old. He's at the beach by himself. You know, think of the panic, parents, right? Think of that panic. We just left our kid at the beach. He could be anywhere. And that's all I remember. I'm too young to remember a whole lot of it, but I remember the panic and Josh is at the beach. And that's all I remember. They get back there. They find him and he's sitting with somebody else. Some other family grabbed him. (laughs) Can you imagine the parent walking up being like, that's my kid. And the looks and, you know, like, how do you feel? Oh, man. Uh, how do I feel? I like the worst parent in the, wor- in the world. I just forgot my kid, you know, and you're coming up. I don't know what was said, but I imagine it was probably a pretty, uh, not a, I, I think it was pretty lighthearted and, and everything, but just that, uh, and just imagine being the parent, like there's a stray kid over here. It's not like, it, you know, I found stray puppies in the road and we grabbed it, threw it in the van and, you know, we're driving around trying to find, you know, that that's a puppy and I love dogs and everything, but this is a, this is a human being that just got left. And uh, they get there, and, and they find him. He's sitting there with another family eating cookies. So uh, Josh was okay. But the panic, the panic. I've seen, I've witnessed that panic, and I've had the, and I explained it last week, I think, uh, the panic of where's my kid in the, in the department store. That was a quick one. Driving down the interstate without my kid was a whole different thing. So they're panicking. They get back, uh, and they're looking for Jesus. After three days, they find him. Three days. Three days. <laughs> Can you imagine three days that he, he's 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 missing and they find Jesus where they find him in the temple. He's 12 years old and he's listening to the teachers and asking questions. And it says that all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. When they found him, uh, you know, they said, well, you know, why have you done this? Your father and they're, they're basically saying we've sought you out uh, anxiously. We're worried sick about you. Is, is really, you know, when you're looking at this, where, and, and Jesus's response, remember where this all ties into verse five and Jesus looks at her and says, and it says, and he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement, which he spoke to them. Jesus said that I must be about my father's business. Sorry. Verse four, uh, it ties into verse four there where he says, woman, uh, what is your concern to have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother uh, said to his servants, whatever he says to you, do it. 
So the just understanding Mary had these had some experiences with Jesus. I mean, this is this isn't one you're kind of like you know sitting around uh, you know t- ten years later. Hey, hey, you, you remember when the you know uh, we were doing this and the balloon popped and it scared everybody at the at the at the party or anything? This was like you no, I don't really remember that. This was three days of yes, I remember. How could I forget it? It was one of those moments. But Jesus said right here, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? They were, he, she was familiar with, with, uh, with Jesus and his ministry and what he was called to do. It wasn't, it wasn't like she was just learning this as we're reading here in John chapter two, she experienced it in verse, uh, in verse 12, uh, and, uh, in verse 12, I don't know where verse 12 came from. Um, but, uh, she experienced when he was 12 years old is what I was trying to say. I don't know why I said verse 12, 12 popped into my mind. So, um, back to the wedding scene. Verse 6 says, Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, uh, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the master's feast, master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water that was made into wine and did not, did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the, uh, the water knew, and the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. So this is an interesting uh, situation here. Uh, after Jesus uh, had said, you know, what is what is your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Uh, his mother said uh, to the servants, whatever he says, you do it. And then it goes on to say, then there were six pots of stone. And uh, they're, they're water pots, uh, 20 to 30 gallons each. Uh, they're, as it mentions here, they're for ceremonial cleansing of hands. You know, before they ate, remember the scriptures where the Pharisees said, you know, how come your your uh, your uh, disciples aren't washing their hands before they eat? And Jesus has to correct them and show that. It's a ceremonial cleaning is what was supposed to happen. And Jesus says, fill the water pots with water. Uh, what I like uh, that it says here uh, in at the end of verse 7, it says, and they filled them up to the brim. They filled them to the brim, so they were obedient to Jesus, and they didn't leave any space for slacking. Now, I remember as a kid uh, being, uh, we we would secure these little contracts with people. Uh, I say contracts, you know, uh, uh, an uncle, parent, whatever. Hey, we'll wash your car for ten bucks because you want to go do something, right? The washing of the car, done by a bunch of kids, uh, is usually about halfway done, right? Because you're like, Shh, yeah, I don't see anything. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, it looks great. You go out to look at it and. It's like a kid mowing the lawn really quick and you got, you know, spiked uh, things of grass all over the place if it's done quickly and everything. You know, that type of compromise that might come like, hey, let's rush through this. These guys were obedient to Jesus and they didn't leave anything for slacking. And uh, they don't want to leave any portion of what he said undone. We can learn from that. Colossians 3.23 uh, says, Bond servants, obey in all things your master according to the flesh. Not with eye service as man pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, uh, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your reward, uh, the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. You know, Jesus said to fill the water pots. They fill them right up to the brim. 
what we want to hear is, you know, when Jesus gives us a command, go fully into it. So do it heartily as, as though we're doing it to the Lord and, and when we are doing it for the Lord. And what we want to hear is, well done, good and faithful servant. We don't know uh, God's ultimate purposes. We don't have to. That's his job. We're just called to trust him and obey. You guys know that, that old hymn, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. There's a lot of truth in that. These guys didn't know. Why am I going to go tell you, go fill up the water pots? And, okay, 20, 30 gallons each. Don't know why. I don't know. what They're, they're out of wine. I don't know why we're filling this with water. We, it, it just It's not our, not our job to know, just to be obedient and see what he does. After he, so it says here in um, verse 8, and he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. So now the confusion starts. I personally think that Jesus watches this with a smile. I, this is this isn't like uh, this isn't uh, you know this is for fun speculation. Uh, just just all that I'm going to say right here. I think he he watches with a smile. I think Mary smiled. I think the sweat whew, off the brow uh, that, that that's all gone. Uh, they're they're no longer sweating or, or worried. I, I think it was proud proud mother moment. Like I said, this is all just John's looking into this as a parent, the speculation. So this isn't, the, I don't want to make this extra biblical or anything, but I do think that. So the master of the feast tastes uh, what Jesus offers. And uh, I don't I don't know if we read that far. Uh, did we, yeah, we read that far, right? Where did we stop reading? Does anybody remember? What's that? And 10? Okay, I'm going to go back to 9 to make sure. Uh, when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was main wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn uh, the water knew, uh, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. So that confusion of, wait a minute, I'm in charge of this thing, and I know, and the bridegroom should know, right? And he pulls, he's like, what did you do? The good wine's supposed to come first, and when everybody's probably had too much to drink, and they won't know the difference, put out the put out the 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 inferior wine. That's what they're supposed to do, and and they don't they don't know what's 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 happening here. So the master of the feast put out what they thought was best at first, uh, but it didn't compare to what Jesus had to offer, and uh, knowing that it was much better than uh, the best that they could offer. So a lesson here is when God works, it's perfect. It's not lacking anything. And it so far exceeds anything that man can do and man can offer. Just understanding God's works and his ways are higher than ours. So when he calls for the bridegroom and they start investigating what's happening, just uh, the, what's being laid out here is, that, no, the good wine's supposed to be first. And there's just that, that, that confusion. Don't know. Don't, I, I don't know if it might have been said, like, don't know, don't care, but we, we have wine, we're not out, and that's some good stuff is what they – so it's a several-day celebration, and having no wine would be an embarrassment. Some might even leave. I've actually heard uh, some commentaries say that you could actually – it was a crime to run out. If you're hosting everybody, it's your responsibility uh, to feed them. So you, you could actually have to pay a fine. Uh, if you didn't, so now they now these people can enjoy their wedding celebration and move uh, move forward. So I like how when this all happened, Jesus didn't walk up and start settling everything. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I I, I just got to let you know. Um, and the bridegroom master, hey, it was me. Remember, Jesus said the uh, his hour had not yet come. His hour had not yet come. So Jesus doesn't go and do that. He he uh, you know 
he he did make all the difference at the wedding celebration because the celebration would definitely be dampered for them. But it's an, important to understand that he did make the difference, and he should be the difference in a wedding, and he should be a difference in a marriage. A Christian marriage should look different than the, the that of the world. Nobody should look at a Christian marriage and go, those two are both Christians. They're yelling at each other down the road. Don't get me wrong. There are arguments. There, when you get two people that are human beings, things are going to happen. When we're at a restaurant, we shouldn't be screaming, I you're going to sit here. They're, just, they're still throwing. They see that type of argument or whatever, and then let's all bow our heads and pray. They'll <laughs> be like, what is going on over there, right? We're called to be salt and light, right? I'm not saying, guys, my wife and I had three kids. you know, So I understand that there are times when you're in the grocery store, you're wherever, and you grab that little hiney uh, right here, and you're grabbing the shirt almost, and you're, here I am, you're escorting them out, and you're saying, just finish shopping, please. I'm going to go out and uh, swat a butt and put them in their car seat, and we're going to go sit outside, right? Yes, I do th I do believe in spanking. Um, <laughs> it works. And uh, so, but it is important for us in our marriages, in our families. You're not married. Any of those things doesn't mean this doesn't apply to us. At work, our neighbors, we all, we all have people around us that they should see Christ in us, that, that he would be the difference. Verse, uh, verse 11, this is the beginning of the signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. So what we see here is it wasn't that everybody at the, remember Jesus said, my hour is not yet come. So it wasn't that this was all done so that everybody there would know who Jesus was. He did this and the disciples believed. They were the ones that were called to follow him. I'm convinced that Jesus did this not only to, sh to, to, to spare them of the, the pain and embarrassment and that they would have good memories of their wedding day. They can look back and go, oh, it was a blessed day. Where did the wine come from? We don't know. You know, but man, wasn't it a great day? And they, they or great days, you know, several days. But wasn't, wasn't that a great time? What it was really done for, what we see here is in verse 11, this is the beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Those that were going to carry the gospel after Jesus died, this is the first of the, the miracles that they saw from him that's re, that, are, that are recorded, what we see here. So the first recorded miracle of Jesus, and it wasn't so the masses would believe, it was so that the disciples would believe. So those who poured the water knew what was happening, and it was. Can you imagine being part of that blessing? Like just like going back, and you you hear of this being written, and uh, you know, hey, I was I was one of those that filled that filled that that water up, and uh, that you know, when you go, I, I was one of those people. I uh, you guys know, anytime you see somebody that you know, we had a girl that I uh, went to school with was in a Mel Gibson movie as an extra. She rode her bike by, um, and she was a movie star in our school. It was like that's that's what it was. But just to just to be involved, he manifests his glory to those who are going to be following him, and they believed that those are the ones that saw his glory. That this didn't all go public, you know. God God still blessed the believers around the situation. There's another thing for us to learn that as he teaches us and he builds us and changes us, that believers around would be blessed. Right? They're gonna oh, this person's a blessing to be around. Not oh, hey, there's John the Christian, you know. Here, that, that they would see Christ in us and that they would be blessed. 
and uh, and and uh, want to be around us. So, uh, and what we see here is the beginning of what Jesus was. Ju- Jesus was just getting started. It was the beginning of the miracles that he did. So, uh, what it says here in uh, verse thirteen. Now, uh, sorry, at the end of verse twelve, it says that uh, he and his brothers and uh, his disciples, and they did not stay there. Um, oh, I didn't. I didn't read verse twelve. After this, he went down to Capernaum. He, his mother, his brothers, his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. So Mary was not a perpetual virgin. He, Jesus had brothers and sisters. We know that. Uh, she didn't live her whole life uh, as a perpetual virgin. It's, uh, that's right there. If you want to have a discussion about it later, uh, I'll look at the plainness of the scriptures and we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, uh, but uh, just understanding that. Verse 13. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and money ch- and the money changers doing business. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And, when, uh, and he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. So as we go back to verse 13, it's Passover, and I, I explained that we were going to discuss this. as an annual feast to remember God's passing over Israel when he was, uh, when he was uh, pouring out the tenth, um, uh, the tenth, now the word's escaping me, plague, thank you, uh, the tenth plague on, on Egypt. Uh, while the firstborn of Egypt were slain, if they had, uh, so this was the first of, of three major feasts. Uh, there was um, Passover, Pentecost, and, and the Tabernacles, and those are studies in and of themselves. But this was these were uh, the the main three. And uh, as the as the um, the avenging angel would, would was passing through Egypt, it would pass over the houses that had the blood of the lamb that was sacrificed on the lentil and the doorposts of the house which symbolized the cross. So you can look all the way back into Exodus and see the cross came out all the way back in Exodus. But the, where the, 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 the blood of the spotless lamb covered, that, the wrath didn't come. The plague didn't come. So that's what they're celebrating here. And as many as a two and a quarter to two and a half Jews uh, would visit Jerusalem for Passover. And uh, all who, who visited the temple were required to pay a temple tax. So this is a little glimpse into what we're seeing here, uh, which was two days wages. It's a lot of money. Got to go work for two days just to be able to go in. So the temple tax um, uh, could only be paid in temple coin. So you guys will probably remember we, we went through this at the end of Luke also. Uh, but Egypt's refusal. Uh, uh, sorry, I just went to Egypt. I just uh, lost my spot here. Um, so uh, they, they would have this temple coin, and to get the temple coin, you couldn't use your currency. You had, you had to use your currency, but the, the exchange rate was astronomical. So the, the, what had happened is the religious leaders saw this as a way of making a ton of money, and they were ripping people off. They were ripping off Jew and Gentile who, was, who had you know, converted to Judaism. Um, uh, for anybody uh, that wanted to come there, it was a hindrance to worship. That's no one should ever be hindering somebody from worshiping the Lord. What is Jesus's response? Makes a whip, drives them right out of there. That's uh, that, that it's, it speaks for itself. So instead of the focus of, of being worshipped, so these guys were focused on making money, greed, and abusing their power. They knew it was mandatory, but Deuteronomy 16 uh, will share that. So they had a captive market. They're ripping people off. 
they needed the temple approved animals and there was another uh, way for them to make money. Um, and uh, so they're keeping people from joyfully worshiping the Lord. And uh, Jesus goes in, makes the whips and, and drives out the, the animals uh, and the people and uh, gets them out of there and, uh, and, and turns over the tables. And uh, God takes worship very seriously. Very seriously. And uh, when we say we're, you know, worshiping, when we're worshiping, it's not just, it's, it's all forms of worshiping God. It's not just being here singing, singing to him uh, or anything like that. So um, uh, he also hates, you know, anything uh, that's the taking of advantage of those who want to worship him seriously. So that's a bad place to be. If you ever find yourself being in the spot where you're keeping somebody from worshiping, repent immediately. So I'm sorry, I didn't realize that, and, and then go on from there. And then it says uh, that, the, that the disciples remembered that it said, uh, because zeal for your houses eat me up. Uh, and that's a quote from Psalm 69. So these guys, uh, these guys knew the scripture, and uh, it, was, it was common in the Jewish culture uh, for them to be able to recite the first five books of the law. They studied the five books of the law very seriously. Uh, and uh, think of uh, Amer if America knew the scriptures. Uh, we're so biblically illiterate in America, it's, it's sad to know. Moving along, verse 18. So the Jews answered and said to him, as he's doing all these things, What sign do you, so, uh, do you show to us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and three days, uh, in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his holy, of the whole, sorry, the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus said. So the Jews are asking Jesus right after he's doing these things, what authority he has, what sign uh, does he have? And Jesus prophesies and tells them and declares that uh, you're looking for a sign. And, uh, and he tells them something they don't understand. But he's declaring that he's, he's going he's gonna to die and rise again three days later. They thought he was referencing the temple. He's talking about the temple of his body. Uh, and uh, so they're saying, wait, it took 46 years. You're saying you're, you could rebuild it in three days? There were thousands of people that were involved in building this thing. And, and, and they, they didn't understand the spiritual lesson that was happening there. So what he was talking about was, it was his own body. They didn't understand. So his disciples understood after his resurrection. And Jesus de declared in John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, says, Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it, back, uh, to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. He just, he's flat out saying he's going to lay his life down, and he's going to take it back again. So when, they, when they're asking, you know, what sign are you looking for? They're hoping for a magic show or, or whatever it is. But Jesus is the discerner of hearts. You know, when, you, when we go on and we read uh, here that uh, uh, there are different signs, and he'll continue with those, those things here. But these, these, guys, uh, these guys are, you know, okay, show us something that says that you can be doing this. And he, he says, well, you know what, you're going to see something. Uh, you know, when, I, when I've laid down my life and three days later, uh, I take it back again. It just that, that's the explanation. He didn't sit down and, and explain everything to him. Uh, and we know that he and the religious leaders had, had many um, uh, pretty uh, heated conversations. Verse, uh, verses 23 through 25. And we're going to look at Jesus, as I said, the discerners of the heart. So, uh, and we're going to understand a little bit more of 
Uh, it's kind of this, the 23 through 25 set the table for verse, uh, for chapter 3. So what we'll probably do next week is we'll go back and read these and then move right into chapter 3. But it's we'll, we'll cover it right now. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name uh, when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. And he had uh, no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. So they believed in the signs that Jesus did. So uh, when when he um, when he's there, and uh, they they're able to see uh, in a separate. This wasn't like right then. It wasn't like he started doing magic tricks right then. But while he was there for the feast, uh, you know, they believed in the signs, and and there were those that witnessed his miracles and. Uh, those same people, as we see here, that, that you know, Jesus didn't commit himself to them because he knew it was in men. So those same people that had seen miracles, uh, there were some there that uh, would have seen it or, or witnessed it, seen somebody uh, healed or whatever, uh, that they stood against him later. What they wanted was a magic show. They wanted to see something cool, drawn to the spectacular. There's a warning for us. The charismatic people, charismatic preachers, charismatic whatever. Just because they're doing something shiny and sparkly doesn't mean that it's uh, that it aligns with the scripture. Just understand, you know, Jesus. Jesus wasn't about just doing a bunch of uh, things to to get people to follow him. So these guys were th around. Uh, no doubt they believe because of what they saw, and uh, they're drawn to the spectacular. And Jesus uh, was about, uh, you know, as we're, you know, if you look at Jesus's ministry. He wasn't about just becoming popular. He was about getting down, rolling up his sleeves, and going with the lowest people in society to preach to the lost. And he got called out by the religious leaders, didn't he? Oh, he's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners over here. He's like, yeah, the sick need a doctor, right? You know, he's telling that to, to the religious leaders. It's important to understand that seeing is not believing. There were several times, uh, just think of Israel. They're, the Red Sea's parted in front of them. They walk through on dry land and they get to the other side. The same thing when they cross from uh, across the Jordan and they cross over into the promised land. Oh, and then after then, they, they, they saw something that God did and they followed him wholeheartedly. For the Nope, they're sinful human beings just like us and they're led astray by whatever shiny thing comes across. You know, and, and there's there's a warning there. But it's important to understand that these these people, it says they believed in him. Uh, it's an insincere faith based on only the works that they saw. The scripture tell us, faith, tells us, they tell us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's how faith is established, when we hear the gospel. And we hear the gospel through the word of God. That's how we, we don't get faith. So there's never, uh, you know, somebody who comes along and they've got, they've got all these exciting things or anything. Uh, it's important or and into a discussion like, oh yeah, well, okay. Well, the Bible, okay, well, where are all the miracles? Where are all the miracles? And we can, and I've explained this before. You can take somebody just through how a body operates. You can look at a tree. You can look at anything and say that was created by an intelligent, powerful God. The all powerful, you know, all knowing God made, made that. And, and that we bear our image and we take them through the, the uh, explanation of who we are and how we were made. That God breathed his, the, the breath of life into Adam and then he lived. You know, it's all in the scripture. And uh, we, it, we see in the scripture there can be so many things that are seen and there's not a sincere faith because people saw that. What, what happens is their life changes when they hear the gospel. 
And when they hear the gospel, that's when their life is changed. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So it says here that he knew their hearts and he knows ours also. He didn't commit himself to them because he wasn't dependent upon their approval. So as you're reading the end of uh, uh, 25, i got three verses for you, and we're going to wrap it up right now. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Second Chronicles 16, 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of of those whose heart is loyal to him. The last one I have here is, is a portion, uh, and it's a whole different um, whole different thing being discussed, but these this is uh, this word is true that what we're what we're looking at, this excerpt from verse 23 of Revelation 20 of uh, 2 says, uh, I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one according to your works. God knows the heart of man and man, woman, mankind is when I say man, he knows what's in our hearts that we can be just like a wave of the sea tossed to and fro, that we can be uh, so fickle. You know, the Lord knows us. He's not, he doesn't need us to, to uh, be the one that, that confirm or uh, you know, that he's not dependent on our approval. Just the Lord knows our hearts. He knows the heart of man. Uh, and uh, there's no one I trust more with my heart than God. Amen. Amen. Will you all stand with me and we'll pray. Gracious Father, thank you so much for your word. Help us to remember what we've learned here, to apply it to our lives. God, that when we leave here, we would be willing and ready to share as you open doors, and we pray that you'd open them all around us, that we'd share accurately and effectively and in love, grace, and mercy not being short and not being impatient with people that, that we have seen maybe for years walking away from you. But Lord, they'd see your love in us and that we'd win their hearts because of your love and be able to share the gospel with them. Praise your name for your word and we thank you so much for it. Let it govern our hearts, minds, and lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.